Good morning. How are you all? It's Palm Sunday. We're not going to really talk about palms. Sorry if that disappoints you. And I just stepped on my shoe and untied it. This is starting well. Okay. Anyone out there fasting for Lent? Anyone? Anyone? You don't have to raise your hands. But if so, you are in the home stretch. Just a few days left now. And we don't do an annual church-wide focus on Lent as if you grew up in the Catholic Church or a lot of Catholic friends around here. But I do think it's an interesting way to prepare yourself for Easter and think about Jesus' sacrifices both in his life and what he was going to do in his death. I actually didn't know a whole lot about Lent growing up. I lived in a very evangelical town. And so I just learned a lot by living in Cincinnati, a lot of Catholics around here. And so it seems that I recently learned that they don't fast on Sundays. So Ash Wednesday up until Easter Sunday is actually 46 days so that you can factor in Sundays of not fasting. I like the little break there. Lent involves a number of things, but you probably know about people giving up something on for 40 days, and they might not give up all food as this fast is based on Jesus' fast, but it seems that chocolate, alcohol, social media are very popular fasts. But I was reading this week that there was a Catholic publisher, and he did a survey about some things, some creative fasts that his friends were doing. Tried to get some ideas here. Number one, Target, yes, the store. I happen to know a couple people in here who that might be hard for. Uh, Hot showers, whew, that's a long 40 days. Uh, Coffee, but I like this one, cream and sugar. If you can't give up coffee, at least make it taste bad for yourself, right? Condiments, that's interesting. Control of the remote. Who in here would have a hard time letting someone else choose what's on TV. Car audio, so basically driving in silence, using that as meditation prayer time. Snooze button, not me. Comfy bedding, apparently somebody even chose to sleep on the floor for 40 days. Uh, Your reflection, I guess he said that was a suggestion by a teenager who was struggling a little bit in how much time she spent in front of the mirror. It just made me think of the book Divergent. Full wardrobe, so I guess somebody picked a couple of outfits and said, That's all I'm wearing for 40 days. Uh, Excessive noise. I guess just generally spending some more time in silence. So I don't know. If you guys are interested, there are some ideas for your future. All of this focus, as I was saying, for 40 days. Why 40? Because Jesus spent time in the wilderness, and he fasted for 40 days. And so this time period is to find a way to relate, to connect with Jesus and to emulate a little bit of his fast. Now, we are in our second week on our series of justice. How do we see justice in an unjust world? Last week, uh, Steve discussed Jesus' baptism, and he looked at the ways that God uses water and metaphors through water to share different pieces of his word. But... The one that we are looking at that has given us our series title here is from Amos 5.24. But let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. So Jesus has this beautiful proclamation at his baptism. God says, this is my son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. A beautiful moment. 
And then he is sent out alone into the wilderness. So we're going to look at Luke 4 today, if you want to follow along. And I want to give us a picture. Let's think about the setting of this wilderness before we, be, we begin. Jesus is starting off in the lush region of the Jordan River. It's beautiful. It's green. There's water. And he is sent out to a dry and desolate wilderness. Now, we, our family happened to be able to go to Israel a number of years ago and saw that the wilderness area was actually a very desert landscape. So that's what I want you to visualize here as we begin to read in verses 1 and 2 of Luke chapter 4. Then Jesus left the Jordan River, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. Okay, a couple of things to note in these first two verses. First, it says he was led by the Spirit. God sent him out into the wilderness for a purpose. God sent him out to test him. Later, we're going to meet Satan on the scene, and he wanted to tempt him. Different motivations for this same experience. And it made me wonder, I know he was guided by the Spirit, but did Jesus know he was going to be tempted, or how often, or when? Food for thought, I don't have answers to that one. But number two, I want us to look in the verse to see, it says, he was hungry. That seems kind of obvious, but I love that Luke wrote that. I mean, 40 days of no food, it seems like a no-brainer to me. In fact, I wouldn't just be hungry, I would be hangry, hungry and angry. Luke points out that Jesus was hungry, and I think, yes, I would be quite hungry after 40 days of no food. But sometimes we stop and think, well, Jesus was the Son of God, so it was probably easy for him. But that's what I want us to look at today. I want us to look at Jesus in the wilderness as fully human because that's what he was. And 40 days for a human without food is not gonna be easy for anyone. I've always tended to read this story as an isolated event in Jesus's life. I don't know if you grow up in church, but sometimes you hear about Bible stories and you kind of take them here and instead of looking at the entire context. So as I said, Jesus had just come from this amazing, exciting moment where God is speaking, everyone's around, he's had this baptism, it's a beautiful moment, and then he's alone, alone. But also, we're going to notice that something comes after this. After these 40 days, he's going to begin his ministry. Three years of public ministry, preaching, healing, even confronting. And so, Let's look at this time in the wilderness as his preparation for his ministry. Because up until now, he's lived in relative anonymity. In fact, if he followed the Jewish tradition, he would have learned the trade of his father, Joseph. Carpentry, we're told. A better translation might be stonemasonry. And so, the other day I was thinking, because I was scooping up some tiles in my house. We're starting a renovation project on the first floor. I say we like it's a group effort. Steve's done all the hard work. I give him all the credit. Hammering away tile after tile, section after section in that whole first floor of the house. My job, I can clean it up. So I'm scooping it up the other day and it just dawned on me. 
if, if Jesus did work and this kind of masonry, the cement grout, the tile, and I thought, did he feel like it was meaningless? He was sent to earth for a purpose. He's 30 years old. His life has been spent doing this. Did he feel like I am ready to get on with this ministry, with the whole point of why I'm here? Or did a part of him feel a little bit, I don't know, apprehensive about what was to come? I mean, although it was tiring work, masonry was at least something he could control. It wasn't, it wasn't like people's emotions or training immature disciples or confronting the cultural distractions of the day. It was day in, day out. He knew what he was doing. It was steady. But I imagine perhaps it was a little bit of both. Maybe he had anticipation. Maybe he had a little bit of anxiety. These 40 days in the wilderness, they were the turning point of everything Jesus knew up until this. He was entering a host of variables designed to change the world and save humanity. He was gonna enact God's justice upon the earth. He was born for this, yet he was also human. So imagine the pressure of this impending mission. Perhaps it sat a bit heavy on his chest. Perhaps the burden almost felt physical on his shoulders. That is the Jesus we meet here in the wilderness. So with all this pending transition, the goals of bringing justice and salvation to the world, this was all on Jesus' heart and mind and enter Satan into the scene. This might be the part that you know the most. Satan comes and we hear about three temptations he has for Jesus. So let's read through them now. If we look in verses three and four, temptation number one. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Well, if you're gluten-free, maybe you feel some camaraderie. Jesus said no to the bread. But Satan is asking Jesus to work his powers kind of like a magic wand. But did it even work that way? I mean, Jesus talks later in Luke about sending out demons in the power of God. The disciples were later able to heal through the power of God. So if the spirit didn't want him to turn stones to bread, maybe he couldn't. And, and if the Holy Spirit worked like a magic wand, then, then I would think some of us in here would be holy enough to repair the stained glass in the hallway or to accio batteries when the microphone dies. So apparently the spirit doesn't work like that. Let's move on to temptation two. Verses five through eight. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. He said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I think it's quite humbling that Jesus said so few words to such a ridiculous suggestion. But we see here in these temptations that Jesus is relying on the human capability and resources, the same ones that we're offered today, God's word and God's spirit to restrain, 
to resist temptation. We have the same access. Let's look at temptation three, verses nine through 12. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan had the gall to quote God's word to the son of God. And then he took it out of context and twisted it around like he did with God's words in the garden to Eve. Jesus' ministry wasn't going to be about wowing people or dazzling the crowds all the time. He was going to be rejected. He was going to make people mad. He wasn't going to be a spectacle. So with that final words from Jesus, we see in verse 13, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. A little cliffhanger there, a teaser. I wonder, did Satan ever appear and we don't know about in front of Jesus anymore? Was it just that mastermind, subtle, behind-the-scenes tempting that we often face today? So this is the descriptor. We've read through it all. That's Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. How does this experience look through the lens of our justice series? Well, back with the stones to bread temptation, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 8.3 when he said that man shall not live by bread alone. But if we look, the verse just before it, we find some words from God. Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Israel had to wander for 40 years. What was in their heart? There's a lot of negativity brought out, a lot of selfish choices in their time in the wilderness. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. It's a representation of what Israel could be. He's proving what's in his heart. He's following the Lord's commands. He didn't make selfish choices. He's been filled with God's power, yet by resisting temptation, he's showing that he will use that power for God's glory and not his own. Jesus was human, and we're told that he was tempted in every way, so we have to assume that these temptations were actually tempting to glorify himself rather than God the Father. In fact, though there are three different temptations listed here, I feel like they're all based on the same temptation. Put yourself first. What did Satan say? You, show off your powers and make bread. You, skip the cross. Glorify yourself by worshiping me now. You, get everyone's attention by jumping off a building. You, you, you. All the temptations point to self. And if Jesus was fully human, then self was probably the biggest obstacle to his eternal ministry because self is the biggest downfall of humans. From Adam and Eve in the garden, that first sin involves self. The sins you and I commit every day, they typically boil down to selfish focus. But not thinking about yourself is hard to do. I'm with myself every day. I'm in my own head 
and I'm constantly thinking about what I want. When I wake up in the morning, I think about how I haven't had enough sleep yet, and I want my coffee now. Even when I'm doing something selfless, as it appears for someone else, in the back of my mind, I kind of hope I'll be thanked for my efforts. Or I kind of look and see, hey, is this sermon done yet? Because I've got a podcast I want to listen to, a novel I want to read, and a movie I want to watch for the rest of my Sunday. It's just hard to get out of my own head. Jesus spent 40 days emptying himself of self so he could begin a ministry focused on God's plans. Even when those plans seemed tedious or confounding to humans. Jesus was clearly physically empty in these 40 days, but the fast probably had him emptying himself spiritually and emotionally and mentally. If he was about to begin an intense ministry, fulfilling God's justice, where he would defy the conventions of the day, turn an entire people on their head, wrench the spiritual development of God's people out of the hands of the current religious leadership, show them the true meaning of God's word. The first shall be last, the meek shall inherit the earth. If he was going to do that, he first had to empty himself of human distractions, personal goals. He had to be clear of God's pathway in front of him. Because Jesus was going to begin a ministry and people were going to be confused by him. People were going to disappoint him. People were going to try to kill him. But you know what? Some people were going to flat out adore him. And that was the biggest temptation of all. Self. What if he was tempted to forget God's plan as people started to love him? Move just slightly off course a bit. Take a little glory. You've done all this hard work. It won't hurt. Jesus likely was tempted for three years after this to derail a ministry focused on God's justice and God's salvation. He's probably tempted a lot more to turn it inward. He could have created a splashy ministry, celebrity preacher, bigger than any Instagram influencer or YouTube star. But what do we see that he did? Instead, He emptied himself. He assumed the form of a servant. He took on the likeness of humanity. Philippians 2, 7. If Jesus needed this time away to make sure all his selfish motivations were gone, then what do we need? Before we can listen to the Spirit, let's get out of our own heads. You know, Not a single one of us is immune to selfishness. It just looks different for each of us. I mean, sometimes you think, oh, well, that person's resting. Well, God created Sabbath. Well, that person's working hard, but are they working hard for trying to impress people? It's all about our motivation. Your action, my inaction over the same situation could both be selfish. Depends on our motivation. I can start giving examples, but then we could think, oh, well, I don't do that. But we know, you know, I know, when our actions are self-involved. If not, we can ask God to reveal it. Sometimes, even when we're aiming at the righteous target, a just cause, 
Sometimes we can veer off course if we don't start from the right point, if we don't bring God into the equation. Like Jesus, we need to empty ourselves of the selfish parts of us. So then, as we read in Amos, we can be filled with God's justice so that his truth can roll out of us like a river, his righteousness like a mighty stream. God's justice is nuanced and holistic and our perspective is limited. My action tends to be a reaction from things that I've experienced. And that's okay, but my story isn't the only one. Your story isn't the only one. Let's ask God how we can join together our stories and bring about whole justice. We might take action with great emotion, but let's ask God, how can we use these emotions that you've given us, this passion for just causes, to make sure you are glorified and lifted up? So we're creatures that think of ourselves because that's who we know best, but we're invited to take the best of ourselves and join ourselves to others for God's mission to bring justice to an unjust world. I have an object lesson for you all because I like to do that. I'm going to wait and have my family help pass these out after I pray, but it's real simple. It's a cup, an empty cup. Not trying to clutter your house. I just want you to set this somewhere this week that you'll see it every day. Every day this week leading up to Easter. The cup is empty as Jesus emptied himself. Think about how you can empty yourself of self so that you can be filled with God's waters of justice and find how he wants you to pour that out of your lives. Make that your prayer, because I think that's a prayer that Jesus wants to answer, that God wants to answer in our lives. So let's pray that together now. God, please help us to empty ourselves of the selfish thoughts that we have, our desire for attention and glory, so that we may instead be filled with your spirit and your perspective and your motivation. Let your justice roll on like a river into this broken world through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.